Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bibles today and go with me to Psalm chapter 80. Psalm chapter 80. I'm going to switch gears a little bit from the direction that I've been going the last several weeks. And I'm going to begin a series today, and I'm entitling this series, One Nation Under God. It's really creative of me, isn't it? One Nation Under God. Thank you, Anya. You know that we are just a few weeks away from a very, 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 I can't put enough varies on there, a very important presidential election. And we need to be praying, church. I may need to say that again. We need to be praying, church, for our nation. Leading up to this election on November the 3rd, we need to be praying, God, give us wisdom, but we also need to be praying, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's will to be done. Psalm chapter 80 is a psalm that was written by a guy by the name of Asaph. It's not one of the psalms of David, but Asaph wrote this psalm. Asaph was one of the grandsons of the prophet Samuel. And Asaph was appointed by King David to be a worshiper in both music and in song. And Asaph writes Psalm chapter 80 during a time of national calamity for the nation of Israel. Israel has disobeyed God. They have sinned against God. And as a result of that, God has allowed her enemy to come in in the name of Assyria and the king Sennacherib and take the inhabitants of Samaria, which was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel, to take its inhabitants into captivity, Assyrian captivity. And it was during this time of national calamity that Asaph wrote this psalm. Now, this psalm is not primarily about the United States of America. I understand that. I understand that this psalm is primarily about the nation of Israel. But I do believe that there are some principles in this psalm that are very relevant for our nation, especially for such a time as this. And so for the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking on this subject, One Nation Under God. It'll take me a couple of weeks just to work my way through Psalm chapter 80. So if I get about halfway through the message today and I'm 30 minutes in and we still got 10 verses to go in Psalm 80, don't worry, I'm not going to finish it all today. I'll finish the rest of it next week. But in Psalm chapter 80 verse 1, Asaph says this, and really this psalm is more of a prayer that he prays. And he says, hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Joseph there is just another name for the nation of Israel. And so he says, shepherd of Israel, you who lead the nation of Israel like a flock. 
You who sit enthroned between the cherubim. And you know what he's referring to there? He's referring to the Ark of the Covenant that sat in the Holy of Holies. And on the top of this Ark of the Covenant are two cherubims whose wings overshadow the seat. And it was between the wings of those cherubim where the presence of God would come and dwell in the Holy of Holies. And so he says, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim shine forth. Well, that's what we need. We need the glory of God to shine forth in this nation. And then he goes on to verse 2 and he says, Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Of course, Ephraim and Manasseh are the two sons of Joseph. And Benjamin is the brother of Joseph. And so again, he's, he's just using different terms to refer to the nation of Israel. And then he says this to God. Boy, we need to pray this. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Well, I tell you what, if we've ever need to pray, God, awaken your might. <laughs> we need to be praying right now, God, awaken your might. Because let me tell you something, Donald Trump is not the answer. Now, I know I just offended some people right there. And Joe Biden is not the answer. Now we're offended the rest of you. Neither are either of our vice presidents the answer. I, I will tell you that not preachers are not the answer and prophets are not the answer. The only answer to what we are facing in our nation right now is God. He's, he is the answer. And, and we need to be praying right now like we've never prayed before. God, awaken your might. God, awaken your power. God, we know that you have the power. We know that you have the might. God, we know that you are able. And so, God, we need that power and that might and that ability that resides within you. God, we need it to be awakened. And he said, awaken your might. Come and save us. Now, now, there may be some people that are blinded by some of the things that are going on in our nation right now. But listen to me this morning. We need God to awaken his might and come and save us. Because if not, what happened to the nation of Israel will happen to this nation. Notice he goes on in verse 3 and he says, restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us. Now, when he says, restore us, God, he's saying, Lord, we were once a powerful nation. We were once a prosperous nation. We were once a nation that enjoyed your protection. But now, God, we've lost all of that. And we need you to awaken your power, awaken your might to come and save us and restore us back to that nation, God, that we used to be. And he said, God, make your face shine on us. That's just another way of asking God to smile on you. Asking God that he would bless you with his favor in your life. Because when a petitioner would go before the king to make a request from the king, 
If the king would smile while the petitioner was making a request, then chances were the king was going to grant the request. That's what we need when we pray. We need to see the face of God smile. We don't need God's face hidden from us. We need God's face to shine on us. Amen. We need God to smile that shows us that we have his approval and that he is going to answer our prayers. And he said, God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And then he goes to verse 4 and he says, how long, Lord? Sounds like Habakkuk that we just got out of a series on with Habakkuk. Habakkuk was saying, Lord, how long are you going to allow this to go on? And, and this psalmist, Asaph, says the same thing. He says, oh, Lord, how long, God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? Now look at that. God is not angry in this verse because people are praying. God is angry in this verse or because he's not angry because people are not praying. He's angry because people are praying. Did you know that we can actually get God angry when we pray? You say, well, how do we do that? Psalm 66 and 12 tells us that if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us when we pray. If there is sin in our heart, if there's sin in our life, and we know that there is sin there, and we don't regard that sin, and we don't confess that sin and acknowledge that sin, and we still go to God in prayer in that spiritual state, listen, it gets God angry. And the Bible tells us, Lord, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? I'll tell you how long until God's people humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways and repent of their sins. And then the Bible says that God will hear from heaven and he will forgive our sins and he will heal our land, but not until we deal with the sin problem in our lives, not until we deal with the sin problem in our nation and just in case you need to be reminded we have a sin problem in the United States of America you say well I know every other nation does I, I understand that but we live in this nation we are citizens of this nation we are responsible for this nation and it's only when God's people when we God's people when we humble ourselves when we God's people turn from our wicked ways when we God's people repent of of our sin when we God's people do what God has commanded us when we are obedient to God then God will hear our prayers and God will heal our land and then he goes on in verse 5 and he says God you have fed them with the bread of tears you have made them drink tears by the bowlful. That's what's going on with the nation of Israel. I mean, when God was leading them from Egypt into the promised land, when they were in the wilderness, at least they had manna to eat, and at least they had quail to eat, and they had water from a rock. But now they're in Assyrian captivity. Now they are in bondage. And there is such sorrow over their situation that all they have to eat is they're eating tears and drinking tears. 
And I believe that there are some people in this nation right now that feel the sorrow, that feel the weight of the sin of this nation. And thank God, there are many of them who are interceding on behalf of this nation. I believe that there are some people that you could describe them like this, that their prayer life is bread of tears and tears by the bowlful. They are shedding tear after tear, and we should be. We've got to come out of. Now listen, I don't want to get anybody upset, and I don't want to get anybody offended today, but sometimes when you speak the truth, you can't help that. But the church has got to arise out of their apathetic state, and we have, we, we have got to stand up as the intercessors and the prayer warriors and shed some tears over, uh, tears of, not tears of remorse, but tears of repentance over the condition of our own life in the condition of this nation because it's then and only then that we will be able to awaken the power and the might of God so that he can do in this land what only God can do. If you believe that with me this morning, say a good amen. Then he goes to verse 6 and he said, you have made us an object of derision, God, to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. And Asaph is saying this about the nation of Israel. God, we used to be powerful. God, we used to have everything we needed. We were a prosperous nation. We had your protection around us. Other nations would look at us and envy us. Other nations would look at us and want to be us. But not anymore, God. We're now being mocked by our neighbors. We're an object of derision. And may I tell you, for those of you that maybe haven't traveled abroad lately, not everybody in this world feels about this nation the way that you and I feel about this nation. I love this nation. I still believe that this is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. But when you travel abroad, people are mocking us. When you travel abroad, people are laughing at us. They, they refer to us as the great Satan, laughing, laughing at us. And, and who can blame them? I'm going to say something here that probably some folks are not going to like. But who can blame them after this last presidential debate that we witnessed? When you've got two grown men who are the two candidates to lead the United States of America. And they are disrespectful to one another. And they dishonor one another. And they call one another clowns. And I'm sitting there watching this thinking, is this the best that we've got to choose from. Pardon me if you don't like the way I feel, but that's just the way that I felt. God, there is such a leadership crisis in this nation, but I had to be reminded again that it's not Donald Trump and it's not Joe Biden. It's not any politician that's in control of what's going on in this nation. God is still in his holy temple and God is still on his throne and God is still in control. But if we're not careful, nations are beginning to laugh at us because of the silliness of all of this. Lord, help us. 
Lord, help us. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. And then he goes to verse 7 and says this again. God, we need you to restore us. We need you, O God Almighty, to make your face shine upon us, to smile on us, so that we may be saved. And then listen to what he says here in verse 8. He said, God, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Now, what he's referring to here is when God took the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and many times in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is referred to as God's vine. And what God did when he took the nation of Israel out of Egypt and took them into their promised land is he transplanted the vine. He dug up the vine, the nation of Israel, and he replanted them, transplanted them in the land of Canaan, into the promised land. He said, God, you transplanted that vine from Egypt. You drove out nations. If you've read about it, God went before them. And God would drive out the nations of Canaan so that his people could inhabit the land. All of those ites, the Hittites, you know, and all those other ites that you read about in the Bible, God drove them out of the land so that his people could take possession of the land that he had promised them. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the nation of Israel was divinely planted by God. And this is one of those principles that I think is relevant for our nation because I personally believe, and you don't have to agree with me, but I personally believe that God divinely planted this nation. I believe that God took a remnant of people out of England back in 1620. A remnant of people who said we are tired of being oppressed religiously. We want to get out from under this bondage and we want to go to a place where we can have and where we can practice religious freedom. And God takes a vine. God takes a remnant of people out of England and in 1620 they arrive on the shores of what we now call the United States States of America. When they were on that ship, the Mayflower, many of them went below deck and got on their knees and started praying. And after praying, they began to write what you and I have come to know as the Mayflower Compact. And look at how the Mayflower Compact begins. It says, in the name of God, Amen. Now, this is back in 1620 when they're first arriving to our shores. And then they tell us what their mission was when they arrived. They said, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancements of the Christian faith. That's what brought them to the shores of this nation. The advancements of the Christian faith for the glory of God. I was reading a few days ago about a historian by the name of Roger Badson. And Roger Badson, a hundred years ago, was having a conversation with the president of Argentina. And the president of Argentina looked at Roger Badson and said to him, tell me, you're a historian. Why is it that even though South America has as many resources as North America does, why is it that North America has been blessed why is it that North America has prospered? Why is it that North America has gained such prominence and influence and South America hasn't experienced that? 
And Roger Badson looked back at him and said, President, I think you know the answer to that. To which the president of Argentina said these words. He said, you may have to help me get, he said this, he said, South America was settled by Spaniards who came seeking gold while North America was settled by the Pilgrim Fathers who came seeking God. You see, God divinely planted this nation. We didn't come to this nation. Our forefathers didn't come to this nation seeking gold. They came to this nation seeking God. That's why it's one nation under God. The foundation of this nation was built upon the truths and the principles of God's Word. The foundation of this nation was built upon God himself. And that's why this nation has been so blessed. That's why this nation has been so prospered. I thank God for good men and women. I thank God for good leadership. I thank God for those who are wise in certain areas to help lead us. But hear me this morning. The reason why the United States of America has become the nation that it has become is because it is a nation that was built and founded upon the principles of truth and built upon the person and name of God himself. Amen. And that's why we've got to pray right now. That's why we've got to pray right now. God restore us so that we can once again be the nation that you transplanted us to be. Think about the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence that was written by Thomas Jefferson says this, that we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. What does that tell us? That tells us that our forefathers were not evolutionists. That our forefathers did not believe that we came from monkeys and apes. But that we were created by God. That we all had a creator and that creator was God. Think about in Continental Congress. When one gentleman came into Continental Congress and he said, I want to know which one of these men out here in Continental Congress is George Washington. To which they replied and said that George Washington is the tall red-headed man who will get on his knees when the Congress starts to pray. You see, George Washington, the first president of the United States of America, was known as a man of prayer. In 1777, 1778, he was at the Valley of Forge, and when he was at that battle of, or the, the, the battle of the Valley of Forge, when he, was, when he was there at that battle, and he had all these conditions that were against them, the weather that was against them, they had no food to eat, they didn't have anything to drink, and he was losing soldiers overnight because of the environmental conditions that they were facing. And, and, and one gentleman who, who, who the President Washington was staying with at that time, a guy by the name of Isaac Potts. And, and, and Isaac Potts tells us that George Washington in that moment went out into the woods just outside of that valley and he got on his knees and he began to pray that God would bless and that God would prosper and that God would help his ragtag army of soldiers. That's why we have these pictures of George Washington on his knees looking up to God in prayer. Pictures of, of George Washington depicting him as a man of prayer. Think 
think about the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. When Abraham Lincoln was delivering his farewell address to the people of his hometown in Springfield, Illinois, the day before he was to leave to go to the White House to assume the presidency of the United States, this is what he said in his farewell address. He said, I leave now not knowing when or whether ever I shall return with a task before me greater than that that rested upon the shoulders of Washington. He said, without the assistance of the divine being referring to God who attended him, I cannot succeed. And with that assistance, I cannot fail. Listen to me this morning, Summit and Church of God. I believe this nation was divinely planted by God. One nation under God. Think about Thomas Jefferson who wrote these words. He said, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. What that tells us is our first president, our third president, our 16th president, they were men of God. They were men of prayer. They were men of the Word of God because they knew that if we had any hope whatsoever of prospering and growing as a nation, it would be because the hand of God would be upon our lives. Notice our national anthem that was written by Francis Scott Key, September the 14th, 1814. He's a 35-year-old lawyer, and he sits down and he pins these words. We have come to know it as our national anthem. We hear the first verse a lot at sporting events. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hail. But you know, like a lot of good hymns, there's some verses that never get sung. You know, I was growing up in church, and we had that read back hymnal and they would always get up and there would be a four verse song and they say we're going to sing the first the second and the fourth verses and we'd always leave out man I tell you sometimes I felt more lonely than the third verse of a read back hymn book but we don't sing sometimes the verses of songs that we need to sing. And notice what the third verse of this song says. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause is just. And this be our motto, in God we trust. Our national anthem. What about our national hymn that we sing? We know it as My Country Tis of Thee. It was written by Samuel Francis Smith in 1831 when he was a student at Andover Theological Seminary in Andover, Massachusetts. And he sat down and he penned the words and then he took the words to to a, a church music composer by the name of Lowell Mason. And Lowell Mason took the words and put it to music. We know it as my country tis of the sweet land of liberty. But then there's another verse that we never sang. Our Father's God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. 
Protect us by thy might, great God our King. What am I saying to you this morning? I'm telling you that this nation, like the nation of Israel, I believe was divinely planted by God. But if we're not careful, the older we get as a nation, the further away from God we get. And if this nation is going to experience the revival that this nation needs to experience, if we're going to experience the turnaround that this nation needs to experience, I'm telling you, it's going to happen when we stop headed in the wrong direction and we turn around and we get ourselves headed back towards God as a nation. Amen. Somebody believe that with me this morning. We have been divinely planted by God. And we need to get back to being one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Look at this next passage of Scripture in Psalm chapter 80, verse 9. He said, God, you, you cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. Talking about that vine that was transplanted from Egypt into Canaan. And he said, Lord, you cleared the ground when you transplanted that vine and it took root. And what did it do? It filled the land. Talking about how prosperous, talking about how blessed, how influential the nation of Israel became. I see this being the same thing that happened to this nation. That God divinely planted, cleared the ground for it. It took root. It filled the land. And then it says that the mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. Its shoots as far as the river. You know what he's saying there? Not only was this nation divinely planted, but that this nation also has been protected and has prospered because of God. Listen to me this morning. It's not a wall that we need to keep people out. What we need to be figuring out is not how to keep people out. What we need to be praying about is how do we get God back in? How do we get God back in this nation? How do we get God back in our schools? How do we get God back into our homes? Because that's what this nation needs more than anything else. Summerton Church of God, it is time I believe for the church to rise and to be the church that God has called us to be. He's called us to be a light in darkness. He's called us to be a city on a hill. He's called our nation to be a light to other nations in this world. He has called our nation to be a city on a hill and that's why he's given us the influence that he has given us. But if we are not careful What's going to happen to what happened to Israel is going to happen to us because look at what happened to them He said God why have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass by pluck its grapes You do know the only thing protecting us is the hand of God and when God decides to remove his hand, when God decides for the hedge to come down, we become an open prey to our enemies. 
And he said, they come and they pick its grapes. And then he says, boars from the forest ravage it. And insects from the fields feed on it. So he says again, Lord, return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root that your right hand has planted. The sun that you have raised up for yourself. Talking about the nation of Israel. But he said, God, your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. And he said, at your rebuke, your people perish. Three things that he says here. Number one, when it comes to our enemies, three things that he says. He says that when the hedge comes down, we first of all become prey to our external enemies. They're able to come in and just pick the fruit, pick the grapes. But not only that, and I don't believe it's our external enemies that will destroy us as a nation as much as it is our internal enemies. What's going on inside this nation. Yes, this is a great nation, but don't forget we still lead the world when it comes to the number of babies being aborted. Yes, this is a great nation, but don't forget that we have the highest crime rate of any other nation on the face of the earth. Yes, this is a great nation, but don't forget that we lead the world in the production and the distribution of pornography in this world. And let me tell you something, God's not pleased with that. And if we are not careful and if we don't turn our face back towards God, God's going to remove that hedge of protection. And we're going to become not just a prey to our external enemies, but we're going to be defeated by our internal enemies. But the worst of all is when he talked about the eternal enemy, which is God, because he said, your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. And at your rebuke, God, the people perish. Listen, it's one thing to have your external enemies. It's another thing to have an internal enemy. But one thing you don't want... You don't want God as your enemy. And God became the enemy of the nation of Israel. And so the psalmist goes on and he says in verse 17, God, what we need is we need your hand to rest on the man at your right hand. Do you know what this is? This is a messianic prophecy about the coming of Jesus. A messianic prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. He said, God, we need you to lay your hand on the man at your right hand, the son of man that you have raised up for your then we will not turn away from you. He said, God, revive us and we will call on your name. That's what this nation needs more than anything else. God, revive us. And that word revive just simply means God, breathe on us. God, blow your holy breath on us. What has been dead, God, we need you to breathe on it. We need you to bring it back to life again. And then he says it again for a final time. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. We need revival. We need revival in this nation. That is the answer. But it will not happen. And team, you can come on out. It will not happen until God's people Rise. What is our response? Four things. Four things. Number one, we got to look up. We got to look up. Psalm 121, verse 1. I will look up into the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. 
We've got to look up. The second thing that we've got to do is we've got to confess up because John tells us in 1 John 1 and 9 that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. We've got to look up. We've got to confess up. Thirdly, we've got to speak up. We've been silent long enough, church. Let me say that again because it was silent when I said that. We have got to speak up as the people of God. We're not going to help anything and we're not going to help anybody by remaining silent. It's okay to speak up. You go back and study scripture, God always had a man, God always had a woman that would speak up during time of national calamity. We look up, we confess up, we speak up. And then finally we stand up. We stand up for what we believe. And I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that this nation has been divinely planted by God. And I believe that if this nation is going to continue to be the nation that God's called us to be, I believe it will take the people of God praying and interceding like they've never prayed and interceded before. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we call upon you in the mighty name of Jesus. The name that is above every name. We look to the hills today, God, from whence comes our help. Our help comes from you, Lord. God, we don't stand a chance apart from you. So, Lord, I pray over this body of people here this morning that when we go to the polls on November 3rd, Lord, that you will give us the wisdom that you will give us the guidance, that you will give us the direction, Lord, that we need to do what will please and honor and glorify you. We're, we're not trying to earn the approval of any man, woman, boy or girl. God, we just want to please you with every choice that we make, with every decision that we make. God, we understand that this nation was divinely planted by you to be a light to a dark world. A city on a hill that could not be hidden. So Father, may we arise and shine. May we be who you've called us to be, Lord. To help bring revival, God, to this nation. God, it's the only thing that's going to save us. It's the only thing that's going to turn this, this nation back in the right direction again, Lord. But it's only your Holy Spirit who can convince us, Lord, that we, your people, that we are the key. Because God, just like with the nation of Israel, the moment that they began to cry out to you, in their time of crisis, in their time of calamity, the moment that they began to cry out to you, God, you heard their cry and you sent them a deliverer. And God, we know that you hear our cry. We cry out to you. Would you do that this morning, church? 
Would you just in your own way cry out to God, God, use me to be an agent. Use me to be an instrument of revival in this nation, Lord. Use me, God, to be light. Use me, Lord, to be salt. God, use me and my influence for your glory and for your honor, Lord. God, may what you want to do for this nation, may it begin in each and every one of us, Lord, as individuals. And God, if enough of us individuals, God, will be like Elijah. You said, Lord, that the effectual, fervent prayer of righteous people avails much. And when righteous people get on their knees and begin to pray like Elijah, Lord, he prayed for three and a half years that it wouldn't, or he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it, and it didn't rain for three and a half years, Lord. And, and then he prayed again for it to rain, and it rained. God, that's how powerful the prayers of a righteous person are. And God, when the righteous begin to pray, when the righteous begin to intercede, God, you begin to move. And God, I believe that there's a remnant of righteous people in this nation that are crying out to you, Lord, for revival. Breathe on us, Lord. Breathe on us. May those things that have been dead, God, come to life in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray. And everybody said amen. And amen. Would you just give God some praise today? Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God. Being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself so why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.